here. We're very blessed to have you. We encourage you to share the stream. Share it. Like it. Subscribe it. Let the world know that Jesus lives. Amen. Say it with me. Jesus. Come on. I'm going to wake you up. I'm going to wake you up here. It's Miami. Cafe con leche. It's all I got to say, right? <laughs> say it with me. Jesus, Jesus has something good for me today. He does. He has something good for you. So we're in the Gospel of John. We're in the sixth chapter. I'm going to take some parts of this together. I'm going to read it. We may not get through all of what I'm reading, but it's okay. It's all right. But we will get through a lot of it. It says, after these things, after the people saw the signs. So Jesus has just multiplied bread and fish. The famous story of fish and chips. The best fish and chips the world has ever seen right here. And after Jesus, they saw the signs that Jesus performed. They said, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. But when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, and they got into a boat, and they crossed the lake for Capernaum. And by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. And a strong wind was blowing. Say this, the wind was contrary. Yes. Matthew and Mark says the wind was contrary. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, don't be afraid. Say it with me. Don't be afraid. It is I. And they were willing to take him into a boat. And immediately the boat reached shore. And the next day, the crowd shows up, sees Jesus' boat still there, but notices that he's not there. And so they said, Jesus and his disciples have left. And, but how did he get there? They're, trying, they're wondering. And then they, so the bunch of people piled into the boats near Tiberias to the place where Jesus was. And once the crowd realized this, they found him, right? And on the other side of the lake. And they said, Rabbi, how did you get here? And Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because of the signs. Of, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the bread uh, do not do the work for food that spoils, but do not do, well, I'm losing my place here, sorry about that. Do not do the work for the bread that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has placed his seal. Then they asked and they said, what must we do to get this bread and do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work. Everybody say it with me. This is the work. Believe on the one that was sent. Okay, so what's happening here, the people have just received a meal. Jesus is there with the crowd. He perceives that they're wanting to take him by force and make him king. So he withdraws and goes to a mountain. And there's several things going on here. One of the things that happens is he sends the disciples in front of him. You know, I don't know, you've been in church for a while and you've been around Christianity for a while. You'll hear people say things like, well, we don't want to get ahead of God now, do we? We don't want to get ahead of the Lord. Don't be getting ahead of the Lord. Well, right here, Jesus sends them ahead of him. Right? So this whole concept that we don't want to get ahead of God, or if God didn't, God's never going to do that. He's, you know, you don't want to get ahead of God. He's, they're ahead of the Lord. Right? And Jesus sends them into a storm. This is another interesting component of this story. He sends them into a contrary wind. And hopefully I'll pick up on that a little bit as we go. But one of the things that's happening is that they're trying to make him king. And he realizes that they're trying to make him king. And so he goes to a mountain. All of these people were following Jesus. 
The crowd was following him. They chased him along the shore. The roads going to Jerusalem were on the other side of the lake. So Jesus, before Passover, is on the opposite side of the lake and trying to get away from the crowd before he goes to Passover. And the crowds find him, follow him, he feeds them, and now all of this stuff is happening. And so he's got this huge crowd. But the question is, what's their motivation? This is always the question Jesus has for those that are following him. What do you seek? He sees a crowd, and he lays it out there for him, and he tells them, you want to follow me? This is what it takes. And so this, this, this type of group, they were following the Lord. Some of them were following the, the, the group just because they saw a crowd, right? You ever wonder why there's so many traffic stops? You know, you, you, you know you're on 95, and there's like a backup for like 45 minutes, and then you pass, and somebody's got a flat tire, and you're like, seriously, man? You know? Everybody's just stopping because they see something going on or they see a crowd and everybody moves to where the crowd is. So there are people that are around Jesus that are just there because they're the, for the crowd. They're not even really fans. They're not even really followers. They're just the crowd. They're just observers, which is interesting. At the end of John chapter 6 and verse 61, it says many of the disciples left. The translation of that word is not correct. If you go to the, uh, the Greek, it means observers. It doesn't talk about the learners and, the, and the, the true followers. It says, when Jesus said these things, many of the observers left. They're like, what? We thought we were here for the show, man. You know, we thought you were the, we thought you were the earliest version of Netflix. We didn't know that something was going to be required of us. And a lot of people want to follow Jesus for the show. And there was a group of them that were following him for the show. What's this guy going to do? You know? I'm sure there were food trucks following Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Because he was a show. This guy brings out fish and chips. He heals blind people. I mean, this is great, you know? Two tacos. Give me some of those tacos. You know, eating tacos, watching Jesus heal the sick. And so the, some of them were there for the show. Some of them were there for the provision. They were just following him around because he's a food truck. This guy can bring bread out of nothing, man. You know, every time, if we just hang out with Jesus, we're going to have everything we need. And so they weren't following him for that, for anything beyond the provision. There were others that were following him only to be associated with power. And this is the group that wanted to make him king. They saw him as a person that they could use for political influence in a sense of we can get what we want through this guy. This is what they were doing. And so they were associating with him to make him king because they were trying, they were trying to bring him. They, they, they weren't interested in Jesus. They weren't interested in his kingdom. They were only interested in their own agenda and pushing forward their own agenda. And that's a big problem, too. Right? So this is what was happening. The one thing that they didn't realize is that he was already king. They're trying to make him king. Nobody makes Jesus king. He's king. He's the king of glory. He's the eternal king. He's the king of the everlasting. He's the king of the angel armies. He's the legitimate king of the Jews. He was a king by legal authority through his stepfather, Joseph, and he was the king through blood right through his mother, Mary, both direct descendants of David, both direct descendants through the line of the kings. Jesus had the, the blood right to be the king, and he had the legal authority to be the king of Israel. They didn't need to make him king. He already was. And through the resurrection, he's become the king of all men. All men. Jesus is king, Right? And what he asked for us is he asked for us to pledge fealty to him and loyalty to him and return to him. The true motivation. So these people had all the wrong motivations. And there's lots of people that are followers. There's lots of people that are fans. There's lots of people that are observers of Jesus for all the wrong reasons. They're in the room, but it doesn't mean they're in the right place with what God wants. 
So what is the true motivation for somebody to follow Jesus? What motivation should we have? Right? Anybody want to have the right motivation? I do. Right? The right motivation is who is he? That's the first motivation. So we're going to look at this in real quick in four pieces. Who the Lord is. Our motivation is not for what Jesus does. It's for who he is. It's, it, the, we could compare it like this. It's the difference between seeking his hand and seeking his face. Right? Seeking the personhood that he is as opposed to seeking the things that he can do. Right? And when the, the true motivation for us is that we serve him because of who he is. There's nobody more kind than Jesus. There's more, no one more powerful than Jesus. There's no more one loving than Jesus. There's no one more just than Jesus. There's no one more accepting than Jesus. All who come to me I will not cast away. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the desire of nations. He's everything the world is looking for. The world just doesn't know it. It's like Pastor Tino was saying. The world needs ministry. Jesus, the desire of nations... It doesn't take a political, a social, an economical revolution. It takes a revolution of love through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom. This is the idea. Jesus is the desire of nations. If we will present him and represent him as he is, all people will be drawn to him. Because there's no one like him. There's no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. We've got to understand who he is. We've got to understand why he came. Our motivation is for who he is and why he came. Our motivation is for who we are to him. And our motivation is for what he expects from us. Who is he? He's the one and only. One and only. The Bible uses the word monogenosh. Mono, one, genosh is where we get genetic. There's no one like him. He's the one and only. There's no one like him in heavens. There's no one like him in the earth. He's the one and only. We can't even translate what it means. We use this word begotten. We don't even know. Say, what's begotten mean? Monogenosh, one and only. No one like Jesus. One and only. And you're made in his image and his likeness. Isn't that beautiful? And he makes each one of you unique. Each one of you individual, which is, again, you know, beyond understanding. So who is he? He's the one and only. He's the one true. He's part of the triune God. We have a God who's Father, Son, and Spirit. They're called the counsel of the Godhead. God doesn't take counsel with the angels. God sometimes takes counsel with men. We see that in the scriptures. But he always takes counsel among himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they take counsel among themselves. It's a counsel, and it's a harmony, and it's a symphony of servitude. The Father serves the Son. The Son serves the Father. The Father serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Father. The Son serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Son. The Spirit, you know, you get the picture? This is why servitude is the highest value of the kingdom. Because it is the very nature and the essence of the Godhead itself. And this idea of servitude is the highest good. It's the idea of love. Love not in the emotional sense, but love in the servitude sense where it is to seek the highest good. That's what God is looking for. And so Jesus is part of the council. He's part of the Godhead. The council of the Godhead. And so just to give you like a really abbreviated story of what this looks like. The father wanted a family. God the Father wanted a family. The Son said, I'll make you one. I'll create one. And the Spirit said, I'll empower them with our nature and our love. I'll, use me. I'll be the bridge. And so God created the thought. The Father would desire the Son. The Bible says that Jesus created it. Colossians says this. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, which means preeminent one over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things. Say with me, all things. All things were created in heaven 
and upon earth, the visible and the invisible realm. Let me just pause right here. People think God's eternal. This would be a great, this would be a great, a great header. God's not eternal. <gasps> He's everlasting. Big difference. He created eternity. He created the invisible realm. He created it. So God's not, God is not even, God's not even eternal. He's everlasting. The everlasting God created the eternal realm and he stepped into it and he populated it. Same thing he did with the earth. He created the earth and he populated it. The realm of time and space. Now you'll get it maybe on the way home, but God's everlasting. He's unending. He's unending. It's so amazing. It's like beyond belief. I don't, you know, it's like incomprehensible. So when the Bible's saying he made what is visible and he made what is invisible, he made the visible realm of time and space and he made the invisible realm of eternity. The everlasting God. <laughs> no one like him. He made the thrones, the dominions, the rulers, the authorities, the structure of power in all dimensions are of the Lord. Doesn't mean everything operates as it should, but nonetheless, another story. Don't want to start teaching that. All things were created through him and for him and by him. So who's at the center of it all? <laughs> he did it for him. By him, for him, through him. It's, it's, that's the whole point. That, that's why life doesn't work unless Jesus is at the center. I didn't say religion at the center. I said Jesus at the center, right? Because everything was made, and he is the functionality of all things. He's the genesis. He is light, life, the Bible says. In him is life. All life comes from You want life? Jesus is life. Life. Not bio biological life, not intellectual life, not social life. Jesus is Zoe life. Zoe. It is an animated life. That's what we all want. That's what we're all looking for. The animated life. And Jesus is the possessor of it. He is that life. And he gives it to us through him. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. And he is before all things. The preeminent one. And he holds all things together. You want me to show you again how this kingdom works? Put Jesus in his rightful place, preeminent. The reason the kingdom doesn't work for most Christians is because Jesus is not preeminent. <gasps> how dare you? How dare you, bad pastor? Does Jesus master your time? You want your time to have life? Put Jesus at the center of your time. You want, you want your money to have life? Put Jesus at the center of your money. Do it the way he says, not the way you say. Do time the way he says, not the way you say. Give him preeminence in all things. You want him to have preeminence in your marriage? Give him, your marriage will have life. Your children will have life. Or you can do it your way. You can do it your way. And it'll be a series of stutters, sputters, stops, and starts. How do you know? Because I've tried. I've tried. Right? I'm not giving you a theory. I'm giving you actually practical knowledge. Make him preeminent. He is the preeminent one. In all things, honor the Lord. Say it with me. When in doubt, honor the Lord. I told it to you last week. You're laying in the bed and your pillow's all nice and cool. You're like, ooh, it feels so good. This comforter's never felt so good. It's Sunday morning. Of course not. It's not going to feel really good. Couldn't sleep on Friday and Saturday, but by God's Sunday, you're ready to like, sleep till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then you're thinking, should I go to church today? Oh, I don't know. It's Super Bowl Sunday. When in doubt, honor the Lord. Should I give? Should I tithe? Should I actually do it? You know, I really need the money. I really, you know, it's, it's my time. It's my money. It's my life. It's my thing. When in doubt, honor the Lord. 
Honor the Lord, the preeminent one who created all things for himself, by himself. It works through him. It won't work without him. It won't. You can try. You can seriously try this out. You will waste time. You will waste decades. You will waste pain and suffering. Needlessly will you endure needless pain and suffering because you think your way is better than his way. I got news for you. At some point in your life, you're going to realize you don't have any good ideas. I know. All the 20-somethings think they all got good ideas. We're taking the world, man. We're going to take it by force, man. And then life gives you a few elbow smashes to the face. I think it was Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a life plan until life punches them in the face. We all got a plan until life punches us in the face, and then everything changes. Business saying, uh, no business plan survives first contact with the market. So you can create your business plan. Your business plan can say, we're going to make a million dollars in a year. And you put that business plan into the market, and that business plan goes right out the window. No business plan survives first contact with the market. That's just true. You have to shift it. You have to change. Another story. Jesus is the preeminent one. It's the word protokos, right? It's where we actually get the word prototype from. Jesus is the prototype of everything. That's why we're supposed to follow Jesus. That's why we're supposed to become like Jesus, not wearing beards and sandals. We're supposed to become like Jesus in the way that he thinks. We're supposed to come, become like Jesus in the mind, in the heart set, the mindset. And the way that we live in our belief system is supposed to mirror him. We're like him in nature, right? That's, that's what it's talking about. Jesus is the prototype. He is the first and foremost. In him was light, and that life became life. Jesus is Zoe. Zoe. He is animated life. And that light becomes life. The life, the word that the word he uses for light is the word phos. You know what phosphorus is? Anybody ever seen phosphorus burn? Anybody? Phosphorus will blind you. It's one of the things that welding things. That's why they wear a shield. It's like, so that light, that zoe becomes phosphorus. It becomes one of the most illuminated elements the world ever know. That's what the power of the gospel is. This isn't this, isn't this conversation out there in the sweet by and by. This is offered to us, and we are invited into it. It doesn't activate by default. I will preach this till the day I die. It does not activate by default. Your, your salvation is given to you and all of these things, but all of the promises come through intention, willfulness, and changing the way that you think and embracing and leaning into the things that he says and desires from you. That's how this game is played. And it's not played any other way. It's not played any other way. I have people that are like, oh, well, why didn't God give it? To, you know, I believe God, da, 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 didn't happen. I'm like, believe God until it comes. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I've watched people believe God for something, and I've told them to stay faithful. Stay faithful. You've never been faithful in your whole life. Stay faithful. You've quit every single thing you've ever began. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. And they stay faithful. Year and a half later, God gives it to them. Well, I don't understand why it took a year and a half. Because Jesus wants to know if you mean it. He's not the candy man, man. He's not up there just doling out chiclets. Bell hopping, concierge. I'd like two seats at the theater tonight, Jesus. Front row, if you please. He's not up there doing that. He wants a relationship, and he wants you to demonstrate faithfulness. One of the key themes, again, to the kingdom is consistency over time. That's what faithfulness is. 
consistency over time and consistency in the face of adversity. Anybody can quit. Anybody can quit. Can I get a witness? Anybody can quit. Quitters don't count. I'll give you two things that don't count in this kingdom. Critics, say it with me. Critics don't count and quitters don't count. They're irrelevant. The critics are irrelevant. Jesus is irrelevant. Blind leaders of the blind. Critics, fools, know-nothings, all of these arrogant people want to criticize everything that is good. Leave them alone. They don't count. No relevancy. Irrelevant. Another one is quitters. They that draw back my soul has no pleasure in them. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit on anything the Lord has told you to do. And don't quit on your faith. Don't quit. You have to say it with me. I have permission to change. But I do not have permission to quit. Jesus gives you the permission to change. And you can renew. And you can transform. And you can restart. And you can refire. And you can do all of those things. You can change. But you are not allowed to quit as a believer. You can quit. But that's not the standard. So you shouldn't quit. You should change. Another story for another day. And so Jesus is the light and he is the life. Why did he come? He came to bring the family back. Mankind ran away, right? Alienated himself. Anybody here with teenagers and difficult times and difficult children? Can I get a witness? Anyone here at all? Right. Yeah. Hardships, difficulty. The father wanted the son back. And Jesus said, I'll make a way. So here's again the council of the triune. Father wants his family back. The master says, I'll be the way. I will become as they are that they may become as I am. I'll build the bridge. And the Holy Spirit said, and I'll bring the power. I'll animate it. I'll bring the zoe. So it won't be just a legal transaction. It'll be a living transaction. Yeah? Why did he come? To make a way for us back to the family. John 10, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave that whosoever would believe. It's the whole reason. The other reason why the other reason we're to be motivated is who we are to him. Wake up, Christian. You're the object of his affection. You're the object of his love. And now I'm and when I say that, some people are cheerful and and embracing of that love and just like, thank you so much, Lord. But then there's also the narcissist in the room that says, well, then why don't I have what I want? If Jesus loves me and I'm the object of his affection, why don't I have what I want? Well, why don't you ask him? Why don't you develop the relationship and begin to ask him? And why don't you be, let him begin to commune with you and explain to you where you are, where you need to be, where you're misguided. Oh, you don't want that. You want it on your terms. Jesus doesn't give it on your terms. He gives it on his. He doesn't conform to you. We are to conform to him. That is a message for the modern American church. <laughs> Jesus isn't conforming to you. We are called to conform to him. Lord, what is it that you have for me? Here's the question. Lord, who am I to you? Boom, he's going to tell you. Lord, what do you have for me? Boom, he's going to tell you. Great and mighty things that you know not of. How about cluing me in on some of those? It's through the relationship. You can't drive by. This faith isn't drive by. This faith isn't drive by and this faith isn't drive through. We want to pull up on Sunday morning and go, four happy meals, please. Oh, give me five. I got to make it through the week. It's going to be a long week. Can I get five happy meals? Tickle me, pastor. Tickle me. <laughs> Tickle. 
Tell people coming to church, they're like, tickle me. Who's going to tickle me this morning? <laughs> I'm all in. It should be fun, man, because Jesus is joy. But there's also substance to this faith. There's also reality to this faith. It's real, right? You know, we can't drive by. You're not, you can't phone it in. You've got to develop yourself in a relationship with the Lord. You've got to confront things in your life that are barriers to that, whatever that means. I'll just give you two practical things. You want to, you, you, so, okay. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to ask how far the measure to, I, to, okay, all right. How far do I take this? That's my question. So, um, <laughs> all right. So two paths, right? So I'll just give you two paths. Say it with me. Wisdom, wisdom. and encounter. You want wisdom and you need the foundation. This is necessary for all of us. Get the word of God in you. He said, I don't understand it. It doesn't matter if you understand it. Just get it in you. Just, just get the word of God in you. Read the New Testament. Read Proverbs. If you feel like life's crazy, read Psalms. And you're like, wow, life's crazy. I didn't think it was that crazy. You know, there's crazy things going on in, in Psalm, right? Psalms, Proverbs, New Testament. Great place to start. Build and fill yourself with basic knowledge. Because that becomes the foundation, the pavers, the gravel in which everything else is going to be built on. You have to do that. The second one is encounter. You have to learn to say when we practice the presence. So on these two little things, there's no excuse. You drive, you have the, you have the Bible on your phone. You have audio Bible, you have animated audio Bible, you have video audio Bible, you have Bible, 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 like no other time in the history of the world do we have Bible. Put it on in your car. Put it on when you go to sleep, right? Just get yourself a set of headphones, invest the 15 bucks if you got the little iPhone cable, right? I like the noise cancellation because I don't want to hear anybody. I just want to hear the Lord. I want to hear the Jesus. I want to hear the worship, right? Invest in it. Probably get, you know, if you really want to go high end, you probably get one on for like 150 bucks. You can get a nice pair of headphones. Invest in that and start listening to the word of God. It's getting quiet over here. Let me see if this room, let's see if this side helps me out. Right? Start listening to the word of God. Yeah? Over and over again. Put it in your subconscious. I'm not trying to get you to intellectually dissect the word of God. This isn't, this isn't the goal. Say this the goal is not intellectual dissection it's to just get it in your soul you're trying to embed it in you that's the only thing you're trying to do and then while i'm up here and i'm teaching i'll say something and boom that verse will pop up and you'll go where'd that come from right or you'll be driving down the road and you'll be like oh i don't know what to do i don't know what to do and boom that verse will pop up right you're you're putting it in you you're investing it and putting it in your soul what you put in your heart will come out right what you sow within you is what comes out of you. Your soul doesn't, the soil doesn't care what's sown in it. The soil will produce what is sown into it. Your soul is exactly the same way. What you sow into your soul, your soul doesn't care. You can sow violence and it'll produce violence. You can sow good things and it'll produce good things. It doesn't care. You are the determining factor of what your soul is, is going to produce. Your soul will produce what you invest in it. You got me? And so it's not even an intellectual thing. It's a subconscious thing, putting it into your soul. That's the idea. You don't have to understand it. The old boys would say, you don't have to understand it, Kevin. Just read it. So they would tell me. They'd be like, okay. 
you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I just read it. And it became alive in me. It became part of me. The word of God is living and sharper, and sharper than a two-edged, is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Divide soul from spirit, bone from marrow, Hebrews tells us. The word is living and powerful. When you put it in you, it's alive. Not in your mind. I don't understand it, therefore I can't read it. I don't, don't understand it then. Just read it. Invest in it. Then the second thing is, like, is, is to worship. Put on some worship, man. I don't know what takes you there. Find something that takes you there. Find something that's positive, Jesus-centered, biblically based, that motivates you and, get, and do, get to it. I've been saying this for the last three weeks. That has to become your yes. You say yes to that before you say yes to anything else. You say yes to that. That's your yes. This is how life begins to change. This is what begins to shift us, right? We have more biblical knowledge, but we are so biblically illiterate as a church. The church kind of backed away from biblical knowledge because we had made it so rigid. You know, like a hammer. Bang, bang. Anybody been around for a while? I've been around for a while, right? Sword, letter kills, spirit gives life. So we're teaching the word without the spirit, right? It's not the word without the spirit, and it's not the spirit without the word. It's the word with the spirit. So the letter kills. It's a sword, right? So we're whipping it around, you know, cutting people's hair off, right? People walking out with mohawks and crew cuts because the sword's been whipped over their head so many times that morning. But there's no life in the spirit. We have to teach life, the heart, the, 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 the love, the, the, the power behind the word. Who we are to him, you're the object of his love. You're the object of his love. He's not seeing angels. He's seeing you. And you know when you realize that is when you begin to worship him. And he begins to reign and fill and flood you with his presence. And the glory and the eternal world comes around you. And as the eternal world comes around you, things become stable. And you're like, what? I was unstable just two minutes ago. Now all of a sudden, because the internal world, because he loves you, he's looking for you. He doesn't give aid to angels, but he does give aid to Abraham's seed. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. He's not helping angels, but he wants to help you. He's not looking to enter, enter and have a relationship with angels, but he wants to have a relationship with you. Not a religious one. A living one. Every moment of every hour of every day. In him we live, move, and have our being. We honor the Lord. We follow the Lord because of who we are to him. You are loved and you are sought after. This is a, a Luke 10. This is the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The last thing, why do we follow the Lord, is what does he desire for us? He desires for us to return to him. If you don't know him, his desire is for you to come to him. It's the word repent. Return to me. Teshuva. Hebrew. Right? Metanoia, change the way you think. Teshuva, return. Jesus spoke Aramaic Hebrew. So when he said repent, he was using Teshuva. Come back to me. I'm here. Come back to me. Repent. For the king and his dominion is here. Come back to me. I'm allowing you to come home. I'm tossing you the keys. Come on. Come on. That's what he's saying. Come back to the family. I'm giving you an opportunity. You don't know what I've done. People say this all the time. And I always tell them, you don't know what, you, what he's done. You're like, he doesn't, he knows what you've done. The Bible says if our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart. And anybody know the rest? And he knows all things. He already knows how screwed up you are. 
He already knows. So stop trying to hide it. He knows. If your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. The Lord's like, did I condemn you? No. I already know all that, man. Well, I already know it. <laughs> he wants us to come back to him. He wants us to live in him, and he wants to live with him, and he wants us to live through him. Life's better with Jesus. I got news for you. Life is better with Jesus. I've lived with him. I've lived without him. I've tried both sides of the coin. And I've tried to live, I've tried to teeter between two, two, two worlds. It doesn't work. It's an all-in game. All-in. I'm all-in on Jesus. Right? And, they, and I win, and I'm all-in again. And I win, and I'm all-in again. And I win, and I'm all-in again. And my chips are his chips until I go home. You're like, you talking about gambling? I am. No, it's just kidding. We live in him, we live with him, we, through, we, through, we live through him. He wants us to follow him, he wants us to listen to him, he wants us to obey him. You know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? Obedience is a big piece of this kingdom too. But it's not, it's not this beat down obedience, it's obedience because God's got something for you. The obedience that God asks of us is basically Deuteronomy when he says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You get to pick which one you want. I want you to have life that you may live, but I can't make you. I'm offering you life. You can choose death if you want to. You can do it your way, right? You can write a new version of I did it my way. You can be the next. You can write a modern Frank Sinatra. You can do that. This is what he wants for us. Love is the highest good. He wants the highest good in every way. I'm telling you, what I have learned in my life of walking with the Lord is where the depth and the power is in the communalness of the relationship. That's where the depth and the power is. And the limitation of that communalness relates to, what, to, to certain things that I don't know. So we have to grow in knowledge. We grow in grace, which is spiritual power moving in love, and we grow in knowledge. And as we grow in grace, and as we grow in love, and knowledge, and the knowledge of him, and we use that into this relationship, life changes. Life transforms. Another story for another day. They wanted to make him king. He was already king. Jesus didn't come to establish earthly power. This is a big point, right? A couple big points in this chapter. Why didn't Jesus want to be king? Well, he was already king. He was already king. But he didn't come to crush earthly power. He came to crush demonic power. You understand this? If you don't, hopefully you're going to understand it by the time I'm done with this little portion of scripture here. <laughs> he came to free mankind from eternal enslavement of sin and to break the power of the devil. If you don't know Jesus, you are not neutral. You're under the power of the devil. There is no neutral place in this war. You're either in Christ, heirs of an eternal kingdom, or you are fallen and lost and slaves of the devil. You're slaves in blindness, in darkness, and you don't know it. He doesn't, the devil doesn't care if you worship Oscar Mayer baloney. Just don't worship Jesus. Because all other gods... All other mindsets, humanism, secularism, atheism, whatever it may be, they're all demonic. All of them. They're of the devil. The only life is Jesus. It's either or. You saw people leave him. I showed you. and They're going to leave him again because Jesus claims exclusivity. And people can't handle it. Oh, oh, how dare you? How dare you claim exclusivity? You know? I've been a worshiper of Oscar Mayer Baloney my whole life. You know, my family worshiped Oscar Mayer Baloney. 
You know, my, my grandfather helped build the temple to Oscar Mayer Baloney. How dare you say you're the one and only? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is exclusive. He's inclusive that all may come, but he is exclusive in the sense that I'm the one and only. And people and mankind get offended at that. They get offended. They all want television Jesus. They just don't want King Jesus. Right? They want fairy Jesus. They want soft Jesus. Right? They want Jesus to wear a robe and sandals and be Mr. Rogers and gentle and kind to everyone. But they don't want the lion. The lion roars, man. He roars. He's not meow. He roars. And he doesn't share time and he doesn't share space with anyone. With anyone. He's a lion and he's a king. And they can try to suppress this truth. But in the end, the truth will prevail. Christ is Lord. And there's, none with, there's, no one, there's, nothing, there's no one without him. Jesus came to free mankind from the blindness and the darkness of the devil. The devil. We don't worship the devil. We don't. We worship the devil in ignorance, in arrogance, and we worship him outright. Y'all see the Grammys? Anybody with me? I didn't watch it. Some brother named Sam Smith up there who's a non-binary. He doesn't identify as male or female, dressed in a red costume with horns, flames and fire, singing a song called Unholy with a transgender. Won a Grammy for it. And he sang the song on national television. In the United States. You don't think that's an invocation? You don't think that's a worship rite? You don't think that's a summons? You don't understand spiritual things. Right on the ground down there. And there, the world's applauding. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this was the most amazing thing we've ever seen. A non-binary with a transsexual singing about Satan. Woo! We wouldn't worship Satan. We're doing it now. Invocation of the gods and the Christian sleeps, and we just think it's a cultural thing. They set up a statue to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Doesn't look like anything like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It looks like a goddess emerging from a lotus flower, and they set it up in front of the Supreme Court of New York. What does that have to do with Ruth Bader? It has nothing to do with Ruth Bader, it is an invocation. And the church sleeps. Just a thought. You don't think it's a spiritual war? Oh, it's just cultural. It's just cultural. <laughs> Jesus wasn't messing with political power. He was going right at demonic power. It was drop the mic. He transfigured on Mount Hermon, in case you don't know that. The legend was that's where the demonic angels fell. It was on Mount Hermon. Jesus is like, oh, this is the legend? Come on, we're going to go up there. Poof. He manifested on Mount Hermon. Dropped the mic. Who was he invoking? He was putting it right in their face. I'm he who has come to destroy you. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Why? Yes. Yes. Church alive. Yes. He didn't go to Mount Hermon because it was a convenient place. He went there because that's where, the, that's where the angels fell to the earth. That's what everybody believes. No problem. I'm going to put my feet right in their living room, and I'm going to reveal my glory. And I'm the monogonosh. I am the one and only. That's right. Right? The Bible says that if had they known crucifying the Lord of glory would have been their destruction, they never would have did it. 
He kept it secret from them. That's why the devil was fishing information for him. You know, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, are you the, really the one? You know, he's fishing. At the same time, he's challenging him, but at the same time, he's fishing for information. And that's why when hell thought he, they, hell thought they won, Jesus is like, oh, really? I just created a new bloodline. And this bloodline frees them from the bloodline of Adam. That's why you're born by the blood of Jesus. Because the bloodline of Adam is cursed. It's cursed and under sin. And, man, and Satan thought he had him right because he understands that blood rights are key to the spiritual world. And he understood that he had man bound by blood. Doesn't matter what you do, they're bound by blood. And Jesus is like, bro, I wrote the law. I wrote the law. I understand the blood right. And I'm going to use my blood. And he did it. That's why you're born by the blood of Jesus. Right? Incorruptible seed. And the, the demonic spirits were like, what? <laughs> Nobody like him. Nobody like him. This isn't timid Jesus. This is on purpose Jesus. Intentional Jesus. On a mission Jesus. Bring the house Jesus. It's like, okay, all y'all line up. I'm gonna, he's, here's how Jesus fought him. Here's how he fought to overcome demonic power. He's like, I'm going to get down on my knees, okay? And on my knees, you guys tie my hands behind my back and you can blindfold me. And I'm still going to win. I'm still going to win. And he still won. He cannot be defeated. He will not be defeated. He's the one and only. And we honor him for who he is. For who he is and for what he's done and what he's done for us and who we are to him. If he never does anything for you beyond saving you, it's enough. The Jews have a word called dianu. It means it's enough. It would, be, it would be enough, Lord. But he goes above and beyond what you can ask or think. He doesn't just leave you there. He empowers you. He gives you life. He gives you a future. He gives you a hope. He gives you a destiny. He restores to you the Genesis mandate. Go and create culture. Kingdom culture, sons and daughters. Go create the kingdom culture. Matthew 28. Go. What is that? It's not a commission. It's the recommission. The recommission of what? Genesis. Go. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> All right. Give me seven minutes. I'm going to do my best. I got to share this. I Hopefully I can share this. Hopefully I can share this. Hopefully I can do this. Can I do this good? I hope I'm going to try to do this. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Hebrews 1. It said, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in many ways. But in these last days, has spoken to us through the Son. <laughs> Jesus is the message, man. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. Why is he heir of all things? Because he paid for it. So you got to understand, Jesus created everything and he gave it to mankind. He said, it's yours. The heavens, even the highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to man. He gave it all to man. And what did man do? We handed it off to a devil. Here, you can have it. Fallen angels. That's what it was. We handed over, Adam handed over the keys to the kingdom and the destructive rights and the authoritative rights over all things. And the devil knew it. And he told Jesus, all, the, you know, all these kingdoms are mine. I'll give them to you. Jesus didn't argue with him because the kingdoms were, the, they did belong to him because Adam gave them away. And so Jesus comes, pays redemption. So there's a price. I own it. If you want it, you've got to pay for it. Redeem. It's the whole idea of redeem. Jesus comes pays the price to get it back. He takes it all back, and you know what he does? He gives it back to us. Yeah. All power's been given to me. Now you go. You take what I had, and you bring it forth, reestablishing the Genesis mandate that was from the beginning. 
And it says, spoken through the prophet, says in these last days, he's become the heir of all things. He owns it all, and he gives it back to you. Who's like Jesus? Nobody. The Son is the radiance of the glory of the Father, the divine representation of his being. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He sustains all things by the word of his power. After he had provided purification for our sins, everybody say it with me, he sat down. A priest was never to sit down. This priest sat down to telestai because it was done. That's right. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on heaven, and so he became superior to all the angels. This is what it's saying. All this demonic power, all of this angelic realm that was exalting itself from the, from the time, now there was one who, who was superior, but he had no right to it because it was man. That's why Jesus had to come as a man. He couldn't come as God. Do you understand? There's all these dimensions to this. It wasn't like God, the demonic power had power, and they would exalt themselves against the Lord. We have reign over your creation, and Jesus is like, well, I'm going to become my creation, and then I'm going to body slam you, and now I am exalt he is exalted. He is exalted above the angelic, angelic realm. He was always above the realm, but as us, he seats there. I hope I'm not losing you. He came beneath the angels that he might set us above them. Do you know that? Do you know who has spiritual authority in this world? Everybody say Jesus. The church, the Christian, the saint. You have spiritual authority. You don't know it. You don't know what you're doing with it. You have a Bugatti in your driveway and you don't even know it. You got a four by four. I don't even know. Whatever your, your vehicle of choice is. You've got a very powerful vehicle that's been given to you and you don't even know it. You've sat in it a couple of times. You don't know how to turn the motor on. You certainly don't know how to drive it down the street because if you did, you would be doing it. We've been gifted with, an, with a kingdom. We've been gifted with power, and we don't know what we're doing. But nonetheless, it's true. And the way we learn to know what we're doing is first realize what's been given to us. Once we realize what's been given to us, we can begin to press into what it actually means. Ephesians 1, he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality, to powers, to might. This all demonic structure. Jesus is above them. This is what it's saying. Through the resurrection, he has his power now exceeds the power that existed over man. That power is broken and rendered through him. It exists over the unbeliever. It exists through un, un, it, disobedience. This is where the power of the demonic power. Ignorance, arrogance is where the demonic power exists in the Christian. And it still does. It still does. Doesn't mean you're not saved, doesn't mean you're not going to, going to heaven, but there's lots of Christians whose lives are living hell because of ignorance and arrogance. And they think God's punishing them. God's not punishing them. We're not punished for our sins, we're punished by them. We reap what we sow. You understand? God, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but you will reap what you sow through ignorance and arrogance. Another story for another day. Who seated us who, far above power, prince powers, powers, mights, and dominions, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Christ is supreme, so he's seated in there. And guess what he does? Next chapter. By grace we have been saved, and the Lord has raised us up together to seat us with him in the heavenly places. So we're seated in that realm. You have authority over principalities, powers, which is the word exousia, which is atmospheres. You have power over atmospheres. I don't know if you know that or not. Go into a negative atmosphere or this crushing atmosphere and just, you know, I've done it a few times. I just go into the, you know, and if it's public, I mean, I got to take up Andrew Ehrenzeller's uh, challenge and just do some hallels, but, um, you know, he does it publicly. I'm like, wow, dude, I got to up my game. 
me, I go to the bathroom, I just start worshiping in the name of Jesus. And it's amazing how the atmosphere begins to change. Do you know why? Because I have spiritual authority. I have power over the atmospheres, the attitudes, the atmospheres. I've been, you know, I could tell you stories off that. But she understand that, and I start pressing into that. I don't play it like a game. I lean into it, and I begin to see things change, and I begin to see things shift. It's another story, but you have spiritual authority. I'm not trying to teach on spiritual authority, although I'd like to, but I'm not trying to. Spiritual authority, we're here to spirit our life. So here's the deal with spiritual authority. You've been given it. You've been given it. You have it. You, we are called to spend our lifetime discovering it, developing it, and deploying it. It's not a one-off. You, can't, you're gonna get something, you might get something out of a weekend seminar, but it's not, it's not a weekend seminar. It takes a lifetime and a lifestyle to develop this stuff. It takes a lifetime and a lifestyle to develop the kingdom and to see it come to pass, which is what we all want, isn't it? Right? This is what we want. This is really what the Christian wants. How do you know you know what the Christian wants? Because the Holy Spirit is in them. Right? The church defines what the Christian, we just want structure, we just want safety, we just want peace. No, you want adventure, you want power. You want to see the things that are not as though they were. You want to see that. That's what you want because the Holy Spirit's in you. You've just never been taught anything different. But the Holy Spirit invites you to the higher things, to the higher realms. You want to be above only and not beneath. Anybody with me? All right, all right, you know, hey, you know, you know what I mean? I'm down. We just need to occupy until Jesus comes. Wrong answer. We take kingdoms, we take nations, we advance this gospel. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Not sit around and twiddle our thumbs and wait till Jesus comes back and get bored along the way. That's not our calling. Spiritual authority, spend our lifetimes developing it. So I'm going to skip this walking on the water thing. I'm going to pick it up next week. But I will say this. I'll just end with this little part. Jesus tells the people, because their mind is on physical and material things. And so they're all following him because they ate the bread. And they're like, man, you know, bust out that barley loaf again, man. You know, where's that grilled fish? Get that. We want some more of that. So they're all there. They're like, you know, hey. And so Jesus is like, stop working for the bread that spoils. Work for the bread that gives eternal life. And so he, he baits them. This is Jesus, right? It's how he is. You want to know how the Lord is? He says something, and he waits for you to respond. And if you don't respond, he keeps going. We have this understanding that God's just going to, he's not. He throws it out there. He says, labor for the bread that, that doesn't spoil. And he just looks at them. And if they wouldn't have answered, we would have had crickets in our Bible. Crickets, crickets, crickets. But they did answer. And they said, how do we do this? And Jesus tells them. You understand that Jesus is a series of statements and his expectation of you is that it be followed by a series of questions. This is the developmental part of this relationship. This is how you learn to converse and hear and follow the Lord. If you've never heard the Lord before, you should come to the class. We're doing, the, we're doing the, I, don't, I think it's this Saturday. I don't know whenever. When is that class, Shelly? Next Sunday. We're doing this class next Sunday on how to hear the Lord. You should come. You know, there's different ways. There's logos, there's prophetic, there, and there's rhema, revealed. There's different ways of hearing the Lord. But the way, the, the, the communal aspect of hearing him comes like this. God will say something, and it's going to be followed with a series of questions. Or you can engage him with a series of questions. This is, again, how we communicate with him. The Lord is king. We don't, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into all the dimensions of it because I'm already saying, well, that's not, I'm already arguing with myself. Well, that's not true, but okay, let's just take basics. Start asking him questions. 
Ask the Lord questions. Ask him questions that I know absolutely certain he's going to answer. Who am I to you? Ask him that. 100% he's answering that one, right? It's a series of questions. You begin to develop a dialogue. And you de- that dialogue oftentimes comes through worship. It's always the enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We come before him with singing. We come before him with honor, with glory, with all of these things. And then it's the communal aspect, developing, hearing him. Don't you want to be led by the Lord? Don't you? I want to be led by the Lord. I don't want to be led by circumstances. I, I, I don't, I, that's not my goal. I mean, and I would pray it wouldn't be your goal. And in fact, I'll even go as far as to say I know it's not your goal because, again, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit wants to be led that way. He wants to lead you that way. Another story. And so Jesus tells them not to work for work bread that spoils because their mind was on bread. And they asked and they said, what must we do for this bread? What is the work that God requires? And he says to them, believe on the one that is sent. It's the word pistas. It's not belief in the intellectual sense. It's belief in the embracing sense. And so this is the whole key to salvation. It's not intellectually convinced. It's embracing. You just embrace it. You don't, you don't understand it. You just believe it to be true. You're embracing that chair right now, but you don't understand weight and support. That chair was designed by someone. You don't understand who designed it, how they designed it, but you're leaning into it and you're embracing it. We get on airplanes, some of us prayerfully. I always lay hands on the airplane when I get on. I'm standing there for a moment. I'm like, in the name of Jesus, angels cover. I mean, you, you do what you want. I always lay hands on the plane before I get on it. And, you know, but like we embrace that stuff and we don't understand it. So what the Bible's saying is here is it's saying embrace pistas, embrace with your being the one that was sent, not with your mind. And so God is saying, I was sent. He is the bread of life. He is the sustenance. He is the one that keeps producing over and over and over all that we need. And so the idea here is to believe in Jesus, to give your life to Jesus, not to be intellectually convinced that he is God, but to embrace from the heart. Pistas. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. It's a prayer away. There are people here in this room, there are people that are watching that don't know that they've never received Jesus. They think they have. I had a kid here last week and I said, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? He's like, well, I've been to church. I said, that's not the question I asked you. Have you ever? And he said, no, I haven't. I said, would you like to? And he said, yeah, why not? And I'm like, exactly, why not? This is the offer you don't refuse, right? It's not the offer you can't refuse. It's the offer you don't refuse. And so the Lord wants to come. He wants to come into you. He wants to save you. He wants to transform you. He wants to put life in you. And the only way that happens is if you believe and confess. And I'm going to help you out. The church here is going to pray. And if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Christ and you're not really sure and you want to do it again today and you're like, you know, I gave it my life to Christ, but I want to make a point of rededicating myself to Jesus. It's not maybe not going to save you, but it's going to renew you. Let's just go in on that too. We're going to pray. Simple prayer. 40-second prayer. Eternally changing prayer. Church will pray with us. You pray with us at home. And let's just pray it out. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Come on. Yeah.
We should have a prayer team available over here for anybody here at Elevate. And then uh, the rest of you and everybody, let me bless you one more time. If you need prayer for anything, please, that's what they're there for, to pray for you. And let me pray over you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.